Now I just have to pretend that I'm starting over. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, do you guys remember what we talked about? Yeah. Yeah, what is that? Okay. Well, you're honest at least. We did talk about the attributes of God. Can anybody help remember like, what that actually means? Wow. We've gotten an A and we've completely forgotten what an attribute of God is. Sam? Okay, there, there are things that God is, right? And so one of them that Sam just said was holiness, right? And if maybe that starts to trigger your memory and you start to remember all the crazy things that God is, crazy in a good way, the amazing, awesome things that he has. And so that's where we started. And now we are ending on the Ten Commandments. Can you get, guess which one we're going to end on? Ten. You are so smart, Charlie. Way to go. Gold star for you. Gold star for you. We are going to end on number 10. I didn't know if you saw that coming, but that's how we're going to do it. Okay? And without looking, can anybody tell me what the 10th commandment is? Okay? You shall not covet your neighbor. Okay. You shall not covet. And then it goes into a list, and we'll talk about that in a second. But this commandment can kind of feel like it's about just our relationships with people. In fact, you've probably heard even in the series, we've talked about how the first four commandments have to do with God and the last six have to do with each other. You could say that the first four are vertical and the last six are horizontal. But the 10th commandment is unique in that it kind of points back to number one and wraps up the whole law because it deals with not just actions, but it deals with your heart. It deals with my heart. And so I, I hope that what we dive in tonight will be helpful for you, that God will use his word to show you some things that don't align with what he's called you to be. I know I felt that even in preparation. So let's read, let's read Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And then we'll pray, okay? Exodus 20, verse 17, it says this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now on the surface... That just seems almost kind of silly. Like it actually brings up the word donkey. Like you're like, oh, this is, I'm glad I came tonight because I was really looking at my neighbor's donkey the other day. <laughs> well, if you were, you're in luck. We're going to talk about that. Okay? But before we start, why don't we pray? Okay? God, thank you for this chance once again, one last time in, in this year at least, to get together and, and sit under your word. And I pray that you would help us now to focus. Would you help us to see what you want to tell each one of us? Would we not waste this moment? Your word says that your law is perfect. It revives the soul. That the testimony that you have is sure and it makes wise the simple. Would you do that tonight for us? Would you help your precepts to rejoice our heart? Would your commandments that are so pure bring light to our eyes so that we could see who you are? 
God, help us to desire them more than gold. And, and would we keep them? Because in keeping them, there is great reward. God, would, would you work tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I've got four big points. And I know you're like, uh-oh, usually there's only three. And even then he talks long. So I realize that. I'm going to do my best to go quickly. But I do have four main points. I'm going to give them to you right now. And then we'll go through them one by one. I talked about how this commandment isn't, isn't just an action. It's not a brain thing. It's not a do. This commandment has much more to do with the heart. And so I want to zero in on the heart tonight. And I'm, here are my points. I want to talk about the heart of coveting. What does it mean to covet? I want to talk about the coveting heart. What does that look like when I'm coveting in my heart? I want to talk about the contented heart. What does it look like when my heart is content and satisfied like it should be? And then lastly, I want to look at the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus. So let's hop in. Exodus 20, verse 17. We've already read it. The heart of coveting. So what is coveting? Can somebody help me? Because I can't read because I'm old and my glasses are blurry. And I just forgot everything I wrote down here. So if somebody help me. What is coveting? Noel. It's wanting somebody, something that, somebody, that, it, that belongs to somebody else. You want to switch? Mm-hmm. You, you take the spot. I'll give you, give you the mic. <laughs> really good. Yeah, really good. It's wanting something that somebody else has. What others have. You know, it, it could be anything. In fact, I, I wore these, my cool shoes tonight. Everybody see them? Okay? Like, I have a mid-age crisis, like, middle-life crisis. I'm old, and for some reason, I like cool shoes. Okay? And, and I, I've gotten compliments from a lot of you in here, and that's really cool. Thanks for making me feel cool, because I struggle with that. Okay? Um, but I wonder sometimes... Even with dumb things like shoes. Do we sometimes say, hey, cool shoes, and then right after that, in our head, we start to spin. I wish I could have cool shoes like that. Right? And I don't think anything, anybody in here would really go to long lengths to get my shoes from me. <laughs> right? Like, I don't think any of you in here would wait out in the parking lot after we were done. <laughs> And see if you could get my shoes. Like, I'm old. I still think I could take most of you. So just so you know. Okay, no. no, well, here's the thing. It seems silly, but do you know people have been killed for their shoes? True story. God's blessed us, I think all of us, to live kind of in an area where we don't have to worry about that. But there are plenty of areas, I would say, within miles of here, where that could happen. And as silly as that seems, I just want to use it for us to understand how much of a heart issue it is to covet. Because it's really easy for us to say, this isn't that big a deal. So what if I want that? I'm not going to kill them. True, you probably aren't. But it still is a heart issue. And when we have things in our lives that drive us to need it or want it and be dissatisfied until we get it, that thing is an idol. It's a God to us at that point. So 
It's wanting for ourselves what other people have. It could be stuff, like a house, a donkey, or an ox. That's in the verse. Okay? There are probably other things that you would pick before the ox and the donkey, really even a house, right? It could be a relationship. Notice that it says your neighbor's wife. And I think that points to sometimes it might not be stuff for you. Maybe you're not a stuff person, but you get really jealous of somebody's relationship. Ooh, they've got that friend. I wish I was good friends with her. Oh, man, he's friends with that kid who's got that dad who does this. I wish I... And before long, we're, we're coveting a relationship. It could even be status that you're coveting. Notice it says the male servant or the female servant. I think that's speaking... Did did everybody have a servant in the Old Testament? No. Who do you think had servants in the Old Testament? Yeah. The people who had money. That's two gold stars. The people who had money. And so that could be a status thing where you're looking at them and saying, man, I wish I was rich. I wish I had people serving me, bringing me lemonade. Whatever it is. So, So it's not just stuff. It can be... All of these things, relationships, status. What coveting isn't, real quickly, coveting isn't a desire. It's not longing. It's not wanting something better. It's not even feeling. Sometimes I think we get, feel guilty. Oh, I can't want anything good. The 10th commandment says don't covet. So every time I see something that's really nice, I have to like tell myself, no, 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 that thing isn't cool. That's not fun. Go back to your corner. Start pouting. Anybody know who Eeyore is? Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm glad because I, the older I get, the things I remember is everybody knowing, not necessarily true anymore. People look at me like, who in the world is Eeyore? Okay, so I'm glad you know. Okay, so what does he act like? What does Eeyore act like? Somebody give me a great, like, oh, you're going to go for three? Depressed. Okay, yeah, he's real mopey and depressed. I don't want to do it. If I try, I'm just going to (laughs) fail. This tree is going to fall over and crush me. (laughs) Like, whatever possibly bad could happen, Eeyore thinks it's happening to him. Don't get confused that coveting means that. Not coveting means that. It doesn't mean we can't have feelings. It doesn't mean that we can't want more. In fact, we'll learn a little bit that God says that when you trust and put your faith in him, there is great joy and great gain, great growth. So coveting isn't that you have to stop feeling or even desiring things. But it's understanding what is important and what needs to be your most crucial, important desire. So it's not any of those things. But it is a serious sin. I don't have time to go there, but Romans chapter 1, verse 29, lists out some crazy, nasty sins. Not that all sin isn't nasty. But in the list, right at the top, is covetousness. And you'll see, like, after it, a bunch of other sins, and you're like, whoa, this is a real deal, I guess. That's how God views it. It is a serious sin. And then Colossians 3 just talks about how it is idolatry. Coveting something to the point where you cannot be without it, it takes over who you are. And that is idolatry. So that's the heart of coveting. That's what it is. That's what coveting is. Now let's take a look at what the coveting heart is. 
If I covet in my heart and it fills who I am and it becomes a part of me, what, what does that look like? Well, the first thing is, you notice what people have so you can complain. You notice what people have so you can complain. And so kind of like back to my shoe illustration for a second. Like you see my, Kyle sees my shoes and he's noticing them. And instead of Kyle just saying, hey, cool shoes, I like them, man, they're nice. He says, yeah, way to go. He says, maybe not to me, because that would probably be offensive. And Kyle's not an offensive guy, okay, most of the time. Um, he, He might have a thought in his head, though. Why does he always have to have cool shoes? He doesn't do anything and he has these cool shoes. Like he could just go on and on, right? Like it just just start complaining. And you know what happens when you complain? It's like a vicious cycle. It comes back around to, to you comparing more. So then Kyle's not even looking at my shoes anymore. He's looking at my shoes and then five other guys' shoes. And next week he's like, sorry, Kyle, I'll pick on you. I did not plan this. It is not in my notes. But like next week he's not just mad about my thing. He's mad about five more people because he's noticing more and more people have cool stuff. And I don't have it. And then it just generates and generates until your heart is so discontent. And so you have to stop the cycle. The coveting heart notices what people have so they can complain, and it grows and grows. James chapter 4 says this, verses 1 through 3. What causes quarrels? What causes fighting among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask, and you do not receive because you are asking wrongly to spend it on your passions. James is saying, all of these things that you desire just stirs up within you strife. And then you can't get along with people, and it causes issues with your friendships. Coveting heart that's out of control, you don't have very many people to hang out with. So you'll notice that it's against others. You steal, maybe even. You're thinking only of yourself. A good illustration of this, and I'm not trying to be too hard on you because we've all done this, but wow, there's like a giant bird on the back door, guys. Everybody look. Okay, all right. Everybody look. Isn't that cool? He's trying to hear the message. Okay, all right. Okay, sorry. See, I get distracted just like you guys. There's no way I could have kept going with that giant bird. I didn't know what it was at first. It, like had my, t- okay, refocus, Scott, refocus. Okay. I think a good example of coveting that's really a silly little thing, but it's a good check for your heart. If I were to yell right now, I've got ice cream. Everybody get in the line. What would you do? And, and where would you tend to want to get in that line? Front. Who said it? Who said it? Front. That's the way to be honest. And that's okay, right? There's, there's nothing in the Bible that says do not get in the front of the line for ice cream. 
okay? But there is some things in the Bible about Jesus saying, what? The first will be last. And the last shall be first. Yeah. So I'm not telling you to be legalistic about what ice cream line and where you should be, okay? That's not the point. Here's the point. Know the tendency of your heart. If you always find yourself getting to the front of the line, maybe an elbow, a push, a get out of my way, whatever it might be, and I'm not trying to be legalistic here. I'm just telling you, where's your heart in that? Where's your heart in that? If that always characterizes your approach, maybe you have some covenant in your heart. Selfishness, wanting to be first, no matter who else gets in your way. So the coveting heart is against others. It's also against God. It's also against God. Anybody remember the first commandment? I taught on it, so you better remember it, because I'm going to be super offended if you don't. Not really, just joking. You shall know other gods before me. That's right. You shall have no other gods before me. Do you know what coveting says? Coveting says, there are other things that I desire that maybe at times take the place of God. And a pattern of that is, is, is kind of saying, God, you're not good enough. You're not big enough. You can't give me everything I need. I'm going to have to find my own thing. That's what coveting does in our hearts. It, it takes the first commandment and says, actually, I'm going to have a lot of other gods before him. If you're pursuing those things, it's against God. It's saying he isn't enough. Next, a coveting heart is content to wither from the vine. So let me tell you what I mean by this. A coveting heart only has one area of contentment. We're going to talk about contentment next. Does anybody know what contentment means? To be content? Means you're satisfied with Perfect. Perfect. Gold star. Okay? You are satisfied with what you have. The only area that a person with a filled, a coveting filled heart is content with, do you know what it is? They're content with their relationship with God. Meaning they don't want to grow. Meaning they don't really care. It's the one thing that they don't want more of. They pursue everything else to get more and to be filled, they think. But when it comes to actually the thing that you need more and more of every day, they say, I'm good. John 15 talks about how Jesus is the vine and we are the, do you know? Branches. Jesus says, he who abides in me will what? Bear much fruit. But you have to abide. Because Jesus is the life giver. And a person who covets, who's filled with coveting, their life pattern is, I don't need that. And we don't have time to read John 15, but if you do, you can see what happens to branches that aren't in the vine. They wither. 
And you know what, what happens to withering branches? They're cut off. And actually thrown into the fire. That's what Jesus says. So we have to be very careful. Is my heart characterized as a coveting heart? Lastly, we des- the coveting heart desires wrong things for happiness, satisfaction. Everybody turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. New Testament. You get to Matthew. Keep going. You get to Luke. Turn around and go back. Okay? Yep, too far, Charlie. Just go back one book. Mark chapter 10. This is a really cool story because it's about the Ten Commandments and it's about someone who's young. So this really applies. Okay, you got it? If you don't, keep looking, but but do it quietly. Okay, I'm going to go because I'm running out of time. This is about a guy, we don't know his name, but they call him the rich young man. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, who's him? Wait, first, who is it? Who Who are we talking to? Right, it's like the Sunday school answer. Just say Jesus more of the time, it's going to be right. Okay, very good. Yep, Jesus. And so they asked him, he, he asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Wait, I've heard these before. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler says to Jesus, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. Which probably is debatable. Did he honor his father and mother all the time from his youth? Probably not. Maybe the first guy in history besides Jesus. <laughs> I don't think so. But, but, but apparently he's a pretty good dude, Right? It seems like it. Because look at Jesus' response. He doesn't argue with him. Jesus doesn't argue with him. Jesus says, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And then the next verse says, and the rich young ruler graciously said, thank you, Jesus. It was the one thing I was missing. I will give up what I have and I'll understand that you are the most important treasure and I will follow you. Is that what it says? No. It doesn't. It would have been a really funny translation. No. What does it say? It says, disheartingly, by the same, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Those are some sad words. He was right at the cusp of understanding what is important in life and in the life to come. And he had done apparently a pretty good job of following the commandments. But Jesus knew the commandment that gets the closest to the heart is often the commandment that deals with the stuff that we have. And it was true of this young man. Had too much stuff. It was too important to him. 
He was looking to all of that stuff to satisfy him. And Jesus was saying, get rid of it. Come and follow me. Be satisfied by me alone. The coveting heart wants to find satisfaction in stuff, but will never find it. So that's the heart of coveting, and that's the coveting heart. Now let's quickly talk about the contented heart. How can we battle against having this covetousness in our hearts? What can we do? How can we pray and ask God to help us cleanse our hearts? Let me just give you some things that I think a contented heart looks like. Okay, here's the first one. Remember how we talked about the coveting person only notices things so that they can complain? Well, someone who's contented and thankful notices things too. I want you to understand, I'm not saying that in order to not be coveting, you have to like bury your head in the sand. The only way I'm never going to content, be, be content is if I just pretend no one else lives on the earth. I'll go build a cabin in the woods and I, I'll just live there and eat bugs and tree bark. And that way I'll never see anything and I won't covet. No, that's not what we're saying. You can notice things. And here's the cool thing. Give glory to God. Do you know that? You can say, hey, cool shoes. You can say, praise God, cool shoes if you want. It's a little funny. (laughs) But the idea is in your heart, you're saying, wow, God, that's really cool that you blessed him with that. You can say, man, God is such a good God. He gives us cool gifts. The Bible says that every good and perfect thing is from God. And so when when we see something cool, when we see something good, it's a chance to bask in the greatness and goodness of God. To say, thank you, Lord, for being so good and being so fun. Giving us fun things to enjoy. Celebrate those things with people. It helps the person who has it, and it helps the person who notices. Because it brings your gaze up to the great God who gives us all things. So the contented heart notices to praise God. Here's the second thing. The contented heart has turkey day every day. Turkey day. What's turkey day? Thanksgiving. Yeah. Why do we have one day devoted to Thanksgiving? Now I understand why. It was like pilgrims and there was this boat fishing or something. I, I don't remember. Um, okay, so I get it. You, you don't have to debate with me on what the historical significance of Thanksgiving is. But I think sometimes because we have a day, we save being thankful for that one day. And what the Bible says is give thanks continually. Philippians talks about praying always, and then it throws with thanksgiving at the end. Because everything we should do when we're following after Jesus, and he's changed our heart and saved us from coveting, is to be thankful for what he gives us. And you don't have to save your thank yous for something big. It says in my contract, if it's not a gift over $200, I won't say thank you. No. It's okay to say thank you after someone gives you a piece of gum. What? 
thankful heart. You know how you stop complaining and coveting? You realize how much things cost. See, there's a parent in the room. Like even a great thing like camp. I got two kids going to camp. And I'm like, whoa. Now that is an awesome, worthy thing. But there's still a cost. Have you told your parents, thank you for footing the bill so I can go have a great time and grow in God? Good. But don't save it for $300 camp trips. Make it a part of your attitude every day. Be thankful. It fights the, 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 the coveting in our heart. It also, the contented heart also is not content in where they are with God. The only thing the contented heart is not content in is their relationship with their Savior. They understand John 15 as well, that I must abide and keep abiding so that God grows me and I bear fruit. They run to Jesus as he continually satisfies. The contented heart also sees the greater treasure that satisfaction is only found in God. Matthew 6 talks about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will come later. All these things will come later. Seek God first. Understand that he is the treasure, the most supreme satisfaction. And then lastly, the contented heart realizes that only this is possible through Jesus Christ. This is only possible through Jesus Christ. And I would go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. A lot of you know this verse because a lot of people misinterpret what this verse means. Do you know what verse I'm going to go to? Anybody? Philippians 4.13. Did anybody recite Philippians 4.13 to me? It doesn't have to be perfect. Come on, somebody. Be brave. Yeah. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Stephen, I want you to go outside, run past the, we're all going to stand out here. You run past these windows, and I want to see you run 35 miles an hour. Okay? Jesus, you just said you can do all things through Christ. So 35 miles an hour should not be a problem. Let's go see it. What, what would you say to that? Probably not going to happen, even on your best day. And I'm not saying you're slow, okay? Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. But, but we're not going to be able to do that. It doesn't mean that you're going to hit a home run every baseball game you play from now on. It doesn't mean that... that I don't know. What do girls do? What? Okay, yeah. It doesn't mean that you're going to win every volleyball game and be like, what do you play to, 25? 25 nothing and spike it and all of that stuff. It doesn't mean that. Do you know what this verse means? Read back. Read back. Verse 11. Paul says, Now that I am speaking of, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, what? Content. I know how to be brought low. 
and I know how to have to bound, to have much. In any state, any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's the secret, Paul? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The key to being content is to understand that Christ is the one who will strengthen you. He is with you and gives you the grace and mercy you need to have your eyes on Him and say, you are the most important treasure. I will value you above everything else. That's the key to contentment. Lastly, and we're almost done. We've talked about the heart of coveting. We've talked about the coveting heart. We've talked about the contented heart. I've run into the podium. And now let's lastly talk about the heart of Jesus. Because you have to hear this. The Ten Commandments are not about you following them perfectly. I hope you've heard that. Because we've said it every week. They serve a purpose. A few different purposes. The first one is to show you how awesome our God is that created us and the universe to love Him and enjoy Him forever. But then sin came into the world really in the form of coveting. The serpent said what? Check that fruit out. Isn't that cool? Don't you want to be like God? And Adam and Eve decided in that moment they would rather experience something that looked interesting than enjoy God's presence forever. And so when sin entered the world, our relationship to God was smashed. And that was it. But Jesus came. Thousands of years later, he left his home in heaven because he wanted to restore our relationship with him. He knew there was nothing else that could bring us joy or satisfaction or meaning or or any of those things. It was only found in him. And so Jesus came. And you know what he did with the Ten Commandments? He kept every single one. Have you kept every single one? Have I kept every single one? I've probably blown through three just tonight being up here. And I'm trying to preach. It is so easy for us to fall short because we have the sin nature that Adam and Eve started when Satan came into the world. But Jesus kept all of those laws perfectly. And then, instead of being honored as a king for a perfect, awesome person, he went to the cross and died a death that we deserve because of our sin. He took on that punishment. And then he rose again. 
to show death and Satan that they would not win. So that those who believe and trust in Jesus can have that relationship that's been severed because of sin, restored and brought back to the way it should be. And one day, all who believe in Jesus will be with God forever, worshiping Him with no more coveting. Because we will have all we need. He will be our our very light, the source of everything we need. So Jesus, understanding His heart, that's what's really important. Real quickly, First of all, the heart of Jesus, he's a great high priest. Hebrews 4 talks about how he kept all of those commandments. He was tempted just as we are, yet he was without sin. The heart of Jesus is also about coming to him if you're weighed down. I talked about this last time I taught on the first commandment. Because I think the tendency for us to hear all of these commandments, maybe even the attributes of God, maybe all this stuff sometimes that we hear can can sit on our shoulders and we're like, oh my goodness, I can never do that. But that's right where you're supposed to be. We all need to be at the place where we're saying, I can't do that. Because that's exactly true. Jesus is the only one who can do it. And so he says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. That is what Jesus wants. That's why he came to this earth. So we would be weighed down and know that the only thing that we can have hope in is his perfect sacrifice for us. And he gives us his righteousness. And then let me just end finally with this. 1 John chapter 5. When you understand and you can come and accept what Jesus has done for you, these commandments... They're a way to live for Him. They're a way to say, Jesus, You are everything to me and I am going to follow You with Your grace as best as I can. It says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. It just means Christians love each other. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And then here's what I want you to hear and then we'll be done. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not a burden. They're a joy. They're a way to say, Jesus, thank you for your great sacrifice. Now fill me with your spirit and give me the strength to honor you in following the commandments, loving my neighbor, and most importantly, loving you with all of my heart. I hope you hear this. 
A lot of people worked really hard all this year for you to understand this truth. That Jesus loves you. And when you come to him in need, he will in no means cast you out. But will save you. And bring you back into that right relationship with our God and Heavenly Father. Let's pray.